to be a part of his family and to put our faith and, and trust in him in, uh, in every situation. We've been looking at a series of what would Jesus say to a group of people or a person and what we looked at what would Jesus say to an atheist and what would Jesus say to a Wiccan and what would Jesus say uh, to, uh, to a Muslim, started out with that. And uh, this morning, uh, we're uh, going to look in the subject of what would Jesus say to the gay community and look at some verses from Genesis chapter 2. Uh, so uh, I would like, uh, uh, I'll have the verses up here and we'll, 
uh, look at some other verses as we go. And uh, up front, again, I think I've got uh, all of the points here on a piece of paper for what I call the notes, and uh, so that you can pick up a copy of this. Uh, uh, I've got uh, some up here if I run out, um, which I haven't yet on the other one, so uh, come up and get one uh, after, the, after the service this morning if you're interested or would like to keep that in your Bible. Uh, or you could look at it again later. And I'm recording it uh, for hopefully on a podcast of some, in some fashion on our, our webpage or another, another section. So what would Jesus say to the gay community? And uh, uh, we'll look at uh, Genesis chapter 2 beginning with verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the, for the truths that we can find and the ways that we can, can uh, know what you would speak to us about and, and what you would teach to us through your word about this. And that these words are more than just ink on a page and, and uh, kept in a book. It's, it's the living word of God, your living word. And we thank you for that, and we give you praise for that. Speak to us, Lord, this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. In a comprehensive report released by the Barna uh, group this year, uh, nine out of ten pastors see helping Christians develop biblical beliefs about specific issues as a major part of their role. And but while this is this is a big issue uh, that we're looking at today for pastors, uh, they feel the most pressure about this particular issue and 44% feel limited in their ability to speak out because they're afraid of offending people. And David Platt in his book I have in my office uh, uh, called Counterculture. Uh, he writes uh, on popular issues like poverty and, and slavery where Christians are likely to be applauded for our social action, we're quick to stand up and speak about. 
uh, yet on controversial issues like homosexuality and abortion, where Christians are likely to be criticized for our involvement, we're content to sit down and stay quiet. And uh, so in trying to, uh, uh, to look at the subject this morning, my first uh, point that I want to make is an exhortation to you to hold on to your faith and uh, stand your ground in your faith in God and look to his word. And, uh, and uh, when we think about this as our society is becoming more sexualized and secularized, uh, Bible-believing Christ followers or Christians must hold to God's design for marriage without apology or anger. How we approach this subject is extremely important and how we react is, uh, is of utmost importance. Uh, because if you come across boldly and without uh, or with anger in your face or, you know, I'm right, you're wrong kind of an attitude, you've lost already. And this is not what uh, God would have us do. So laying some groundwork this morning uh, before uh, answering the questions, I've got, uh, I've got biblical basis for what Jesus would say. Uh, but in, in getting a, uh, a good basis without any condemnation is, is uh, difficult ground to be on. I'll be honest with you. Uh, but if we go back, Genesis chapter 1, uh, 27 to 28, says God created humans, male and female, and the verse says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. This, this is kind of a, you read this verse and it's kind of like he states it twice. Male and female, he created them and God blessed them. And God so them, said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And then in Genesis chapter two, uh, we read, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And now Adam realized he named the animals. And this is what we just read in Genesis chapter 2. And he realized that none of these created animals could, could provide deep companionship that, that we read about here. In verse 20, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Now, notice that the helper he needed was someone that could, that could relate to him and, and speak to him. And, and what God was asking for was, was procreation and for them to multiply. So his, his need was not for another man. His need was for, for a woman. And verse 23 tells how God, how Adam felt after God made the woman. The verse we just read, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. We'll talk about this in just a minute because she was taken out of man. Now, when we, when we look at this very carefully, God's intention is clearly seen in verse 24 Therefore, this is a verse that Jesus quoted. Therefore, 
A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is one of the one of the things, this is what Jesus quoted directly from this from this very verse, and then what we use in the in a marriage uh, ceremony. But let's ask the question. Suppose God wanted to create a world in which marriage required a man and a woman. How would he arrange this world? How would he arrange it? What sort of story would be told? And maybe he would make first make the man, and then seeing the man was all alone, make a suitable partner for him. And maybe in an expression of their equality, and I don't know if this is a word, complementarity, that to complement each other, God would fashion the second human from the first, out of the first. So maybe the name of the one woman, or in Hebrew, the word is Isha, would be derived from her natural complement, man, which in Hebrew is the word Ish. And in order to show the unique fittedness of the man for the woman, maybe God would give them a command, give them a something, this is what I need you to do, as with, he did with all of the, 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 his creation. He, to be fruitful and multiply. And that could only be fulfilled by the coming together of the two sexes. Now I think this is probably where we go from G to a PG rating in the uh, sermon series. So uh, uh, maybe the story would end with the two, one man and one woman starting a new family together and entering into a covenant relationship. Uh, a, a union where it's solemnized by an oath, a promise between the two and sealed with a, the sort of physical union capable of perpetuating this family unit that, that God is asking them to do. And in the same time, reflecting their status as image bearers of a divine creator. I haven't lost you yet, so stay with me here. Uh, if God wanted to establish a world in which the normal marital and sexual relationship is that between persons of the opposite sex, Genesis 1 and 2 fits perfectly. A different marital arrangement requires an entirely different first two chapters of the Bible. An entirely different creation account. One writer by the name of Kevin D. Young, uh, he points this out. He says, the nature of the one flesh union presupposes two persons of the opposite sex. The phrase one flesh points to sexual intimacy. This ish and isha can become one flesh because Theirs is not just a sexual union, but a reunion. You see that, how 
the rib was taken from the man and then to create the woman and then God brought the woman to the man. This is like God walking her down the aisle, right? So this is a reunion. He has a rib missing. Here comes his rib made into a person. And then the bringing of the two together, the differentiated beings with one made from and both made for the other. Now, in other words, an ish is combined with an isha to make one flesh, one unit, one whole person, so to speak. Now that becomes one. It's not two-ish or not two-ishes. And the account of creation is clear. One man united with one woman in the covenant of marriage for life is the created and natural order. So according to a Lifeway survey, seven in 10, 70% say that there is nothing wrong with the same sex adults having sexual relations up from 16% in 1988. So what are we talking about here? 21 years from 16 to 70%. 55% of young adults believe homosexual couples should have the right to marry, jumping, from, jumping more than 50 percentage points in 30 years. Wow. This is, a, this is a huge, a huge movement in thinking. And this issue has become front and center in our society. And one pastor adds, uh, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second lie is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. And both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. And one, one society, or our society, is all about discussing our rights. My rights, your rights, the rights are different. But we're increasingly hesitant to declare what's right. What's right? And I would not be able to say that I love God or I love my neighbor if I stay silent, if I don't speak up. And I know, this is my disclaimer, maybe it's a little bit late in the, in the message here, or, uh, that uh, I know by preaching on this topic, uh, some will think I'm a homophobe or a homosexual hater, and I'm neither. Others might think I'm not strong enough. But my aim is to think biblically and act graciously. And what would Jesus say? What would Jesus say? And how might this question of what would Jesus say shape the Christian view of homosexuality? We can't know what Jesus would say, many protest, because he never addressed homosexuality. You can make this statement about a lot of things. And I've heard this directly from the, I don't know how to, how to point this out, but this was a, said right out. 
Well, Jesus never, Jesus never said anything about it. Well, we're, we're going to touch on this because Jesus never addressed the Internet or the pornography that you can find on there. Jesus doesn't tell us what to wear to the beach. He doesn't mention what programs to watch on Friday nights. So are we free to do whatever we want? He never tells us what movies we should avoid. Or he doesn't, Jesus doesn't even address pedophilia. But that doesn't mean he doesn't care about any of those things. And, and guess what? God makes a powerful statement. Because in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And it's getting pretty quiet out there. You're making me nervous. So Christ followers or us as Christians, we have absolutely everything we need to be able to make discerning godly decisions. And that's when you pick up God's word in your devotions. And in prayer, look at it. Because this verse out of 2 Peter I chose a nice flower and everything up there. But I hope you can read it okay. But 2 Peter 1.3. God's word is complete. God's word is complete. Bearing principles that include every aspect of life and godliness. Every aspect is included. And we, we apply those principles the right way as we rely on his Holy Spirit to, to show us his spirit within us. So before we consider what Jesus would say, I'm going to get to our middle point here. Number two, a couple of modern day uh, lies. Uh, Jesus, Jesus's teaching, lie number one, Jesus's teaching carries more weight than the rest of scripture. The Old Testament or the letters, what Jesus says has more weight. But according to 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is, is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture, not just what Jesus says. And Jesus himself said, I've come to not to abolish the, the law, but to fulfill the law. He said this in Matthew 5 as part of the, uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And as a matter of fact, Jesus often quoted directly from the Old Testament, confirming his authority, and he never, ever, ever contradicted it. In fact, he took the law from the Old Testament that was so focused on our actions and what we do that defies God and what we must do to restore that relationship. And he started applying it to our hearts. Jesus took the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and took the Old Testament law and told us how to, to interpret that into our heart, our innermost thoughts. The deepest, darkest, most secretive thoughts that you have where we can deceive ourselves into thinking that it doesn't really matter when it does. And when the religious leaders of the day resisted the application to our hearts, he rebuked them. And he rebuked them, just he came right out and said, 
you're a generation of vipers. I mean, if we, if the church stood up and say, you, you, you're, a, you're a generation of vipers to the, to the press, boy, we would be hung out to dry. That he even said that they worshiped him with their mouths, but not with their hearts. Following the law isn't what earned his rebuke. His problem was that they limited their worship. Those the people that were there, the religious people of the day, as Jesus walked, they limited their worship to their actions and they separated it from their hearts. If I follow this law, do this, 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 that, then I'm good. And inside, I, I'm just rotten to the core. And that's exactly what Jesus, Jesus pointed out to them. We must look to the entirety of the Bible or of Scripture to see God's heart. Amen? Okay. And the truth is, he, he, he displays it pretty openly. It's out there. Lie number two, we kind of touched on this a minute ago. If Jesus didn't speak of a specific issue addressed in the Old Testament, it must be obsolete. If Jesus didn't mention it, then it's obsolete. We don't even have to think about that. Well, Jesus' ministry was primary, primarily with people. Amen? And they were the people that he was ministering to were familiar with the law. The Old Testament, the first five books especially of Moses and the Bible. And they were generally obedient to it already. And that becomes a really important point. Because rather than assuming that Jesus' silence about some aspect of Old Testament moral law negates it, we need to assume that his silence confirms it. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus challenged the people. Bring it, bring it to your heart. Bring it home. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been easy for Jesus during the, in the Sermon on the Mount to include homosexuality in this discussion? If his audience's thinking needed to be realigned with God's heart, I think they were more in tune with what God already had taught them, that Jesus didn't need to bring that up. This never happened in the Sermon on the Mount. And the natural implication is that Jesus was in agreement with what the Old Testament said. And we're not going to go through that. I mean, this could be a, a, a series if you wanted that to happen, but I'm not going to, not going to allow that. So, based on groundwork laid. Man, that was done. Point number three. What would Jesus say? Number one, I love you. He doesn't lower his eyes and look away with awkwardness. Jesus doesn't sneer at you with disgust and then spit on the ground. He meets your gaze steadfastly, eye to eye. Jesus would look at you, look at, this, at the gay community straight in the eye with tenderness because he's the one crying out to his Father on your behalf hanging on the cross you deserved, paying the debt you owed. Read John 3.16, Colossians 2, 13 to 15. 
Next, Jesus would say, you are so much more than your fleshly desires. And he says this to prostitutes and porn addicts. And he says this to drunks and to gluttons and drug addicts. He says it to adulterers and promiscuous teens and 20-somethings. He says it to anger addicts and compulsive liars. And he says it to the gay community. You are so much more than your fleshly desires. And he beckons you not to get swept up into the, the, the modern culture, this is what's happening, kind of a thing. He urges you not to be deceived into thinking that sexual is, immorality isn't so bad just because everybody else is doing it. That doesn't make it right. He wants you to understand, and this goes for everybody, that a lustful thought is no less a perversion than a lifestyle full of immoral deeds. I think I just heard a pin drop. He implores you to trade in your food and drink and your sex and every other vain attempt, drugs and whatever it may be, to, to find fulfillment. Trade them in for the bread of life, the living water. Jesus Christ, trust in him, and there you will be satisfied. Next, we're at, that's only two, I've got five. Next, he says, I'm coming to your house today. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? We have the little kids singing it, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I'm coming to your house today. Zacchaeus was a, he was a tax cheat, an immoral man. And Jesus didn't say, hey, clean up your act and I'll be there later. Let me know when you're ready. He says, no, I'm coming today. He wants to be with you. He wants to be with each one of us. Mark 3, 14. He wants your fellowship. God desires to speak to you and to put his arms around you and have you talk to him and, and look into his eyes. We can do that through his word and through our time of prayer. He does more than love you. He likes you. I don't know how we're going to get through to that one, but you don't have to clean yourself up before coming to him. In fact, he'll come to you just the way you are. All you've got to do is receive him. And he'll take care of the rest. Next, get up, pick up your bed, and walk. Man in John chapter 5, Jesus walks up to this crowd of people in this, uh, this area where there's a pool of water. And, and this man had been laying on this mat for 38 years, he says to Jesus. And Jesus says, uh, get up. And the man, he thought he knew better than Jesus. That's not the way I'm supposed to get healed. I'm supposed to go down in the water when the angel stirs it up and the first person there, I'm trying to get there, but nobody can help me. Get up. Get up. Make it a, a physical effort of your own. Don't rely on what you think about yourself. 
Don't rely on what popular opinion says. Don't rely on the latest medical research or, or even your own common sense or even your past experience. For heaven's sake, your feelings are the worst guide ever. How you feel. And I'm going to put Jeremiah 17, 9 on there about your own personal feelings, how you feel about yourself. Well, what's Jeremiah 17, 9 says? Well, it says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? How you feel about something is the worst guide, is the worst thing you can think about. Well, I'm only going to do it if I feel good. Uh, you're listening to something, unless it's turned over to God and given to him in prayer, it's going gonna, it's gonna to guide you the wrong way. It's going to take you down the wrong street. So in looking at that, God is the one who made you, and he knows all about you. Psalm 139. You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. This is just four of those verses. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. He knows all about us. He knows all about us. We're not hiding anything from him. He will equip you to do what he's asking you to do. If the Lord is, is touching your heart to move in a direction closer to him, he's going to, you make that step like this man at the, at that Jesus said, he grabbed his hand, get up and you'll be healed. He made, he, he made, this, he didn't, he didn't say be well. He said, he could have said be well. And the guy would have said, oh yeah, that's it. No, he made the man make the motion. You make the decision. Get up. You make the decision. What I'm doing is not right. I understand that. And that's why God wants us to make that, that first step. You have to believe that he's strong enough to help you. And kind enough to want to. Right? You have to trust that, that he doesn't issue mandates for your harm, but for your good. He doesn't want to torture you. He wants to help you, right? Have faith that he can do the impossible in your life. Believe in him, and you'll witness a miraculous. And lastly, number five this morning, what would Jesus say? Go and sin no more. John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery, he didn't say, keep doing what you're doing. No. Go. He didn't even say, just go. He says, go. Oh, by the way, stop what you're doing. Do something else with your life. Live a better life. We just think, well, he was nice and he was kind and he saved a woman's life. But, but he told her, you know, where, where, are your, where are your people that are mad at you? They're, they're gone, Lord. Well, go. He says, go. But sin no more. Once he comes to you, you have a taste of the sweetness of a divine relationship. And this is what this is all about. 
and what I've been talking about all morning. A relationship between you and your maker helps you understand his heart compared to your heart and what steps can be made we can't pay we can't do he just wants to help you every way possible to repair that relationship between you and him so no matter what your addiction may be I'm not speaking just about the gay community but drugs and and alcohol and whatever it may be that you're trying to find fulfillment there because Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament says basically we have a God-shaped hole and it's going to be filled right we'll try to fill it there's something missing in our life and we'll try to fill it with something that makes us feel feel fulfilled what do we say about feelings the heart is deceitful above everything so fill it with him with him with his love no matter what sin has ensnared you in it, in its grip the power of the gospel is that we are considered righteous before God once we come to the altar and say God this is what I've done and it's only between you and him and don't care about anybody else when you come to a time of prayer with him if you haven't yet it's only between you and him when you say, this is what I've done. I know it's been wrong. Help me to get rid of this. Help me to understand. Then we're made righteous before him. He is, what? Able to purify us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. By believing and trusting in him. Hebrews chapter 10, finally, at the very end here. I'm sorry. This is the last verse I want to share with you, and we'll close. For by the one offering, the offering on the cross, he has perfected forever and completely cleansed. See that? He has perfected forever and completely cleansed. Once we put our, our trust in him, those who are being sanctified or and bringing each believer into spiritual completion and maturity from the Amplified Version. Being sanctified, the Amplified Version gives you the definition, bringing each believer to spiritual completion, maturity, to grow in your understanding, to grow in your life, and learn more and receive more and taking, taking all this. So by his offering himself on the cross, by believing and trusting in him, we can be completely cleansed. So all these things that Jesus would say to the gay community, he said in the Bible, right? Go and sin no more. He says, he says to us that I'm coming to your house today. I want to be with you. I want to learn more about you. I want to have fellowship with you. Let's talk. Let's eat. That's what God desires. And reaching out in this fashion is only trying to supply that need. And mostly, I'll tell you where it comes from, is mostly selfishness. 
I don't understand God, so I'm selfishly going to make myself feel happy. When my heart, because of what Jeremiah says, is completely untrustworthy. So what can be trustworthy? His word. Let's all stand. Father, we, we thank you this morning. We give you praise that you are a God that gives us so much. And we have this message that you've given for today. Help us to understand. Help us to understand what, what you would say and what we need to we need to see in this topic that Lord you are God and you have made all things good that you created you created the, the earth and the heavens and, and the animals and the man and woman and then you tell us that you, you step back and you looked at it and you say I did good and it's only us in our disobedience that messed this whole thing up. So forgive us, Lord, but help us to understand. You said it was good what you made. And we, we can't improve on that no matter how we feel or what we think. And Lord, we just love you and trust you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the hearers this morning. Lord, whether it's for ourselves or whether it's for us to be armed to know, Lord, I don't know who fits into those categories. You do. So I pray for them. And we pray for this week, bringing us back again tonight. Lord, as we, as we open your word, as we worship, as we lift you up, because you are greater than we are. We are made, we are made in your image, not you in ours. And we thank you as we worship in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen.